This is probably all live. Is this all be live? Oh, well, good morning. Good morning. I don't know what all you just heard, but we miss you. And those of us who are gathering to pull off a Sunday morning online worship, we do enjoy each other. There's a lot of laughing and a lot of joking, and I'm, I hate that you don't get to enjoy it. Um, it is, as much as I miss everyone, it is a nice respite in my week, at least, just to have some time with friends. And we do look forward to the time that you can be here with us. Let me just reiterate, if you are uh, interested, available, healthy, um, and serving at the Red Bank Food Pantry, we, the uh, Chattanooga Community Kitchen also put out a big call for volunteers. We're this is a hard time for our city because our cases have been so high. Um, we're encouraged that the last couple of days, they seem to be dropping rapidly, but it's too early to tell if that's a trend or if that's just a couple of days or if it's just because it's the weekend. We'll wait for the next couple of weeks to kind of see what that trend looks like. But in this trend where cases are spiking, people are sick, um, there's a lot of things that are still closing down or, or not being fully open um, there's a lot of need for those who are hungry, and there's also a lot of need for volunteers that are not available because they're quarantining or staying away or trying not to engage with people. Um, so we're kind of in this perfect storm where a lot of the agencies that are providing care, providing need, are in great need. I did post the link on Facebook. If you're on Facebook um, for the sign-up list um, just a few minutes ago for the Red Bank Food Pantry, if you're interested and in, in available to serve there. Um, earlier in the week, you can find where we posted about the Chattanooga Community Kitchen. And this is an ongoing need that we're going to have. So this is a way that if you're able, that we can serve and we can help in very tangible ways for people that uh, just have food insecurity and have a need. Um, so if you're interested, we would love for you to sign up um, for that and be a part of that. Um, we're going to be talking today. We're going to continue our series on emotions. I got a lot of feedback from you last week, watching it on various places and texting, leaving comments, sending emails. Uh, and I'm really excited to see that. And I hope that throughout this series, you will feel free to share your thoughts, share your struggles, and just what's speaking to you, what you would like to hear more about, um, ways that we can be helpful. Last week, the emotion we talked about was anxiety, something that uh, all of us to some degree deal with. Some uh, worse than others. Some are based more on their circumstances. Others are based more on kind of their own chemical makeup. Your bodies kind of betray you and send you into a sense of panic or anxiety um, outside of all of your circumstances, which means now you can't really control it. We talked about some of those, but we also looked at a very real place in scripture where Jesus struggled with anxiety, even more so than most of us ever will to the degree that he sweat drops of blood in the, in the moments leading up to his arrest, his uh, torture, and then his crucifixion. So we saw that Jesus dealt with anxiety. We also talked about how Jesus dealt with anxiety. He did not let his anxiety control him. Instead, he had a higher purpose. So if you'd like to, to follow up on that, you can go back and, and watch that on our, our website, on iTunes, or um, you can follow up on Facebook or YouTube. So today I want to talk to you about another emotion that we all feel, and it is of all the emotions we're going to talk about, maybe the most powerful emotion that we 
experience. It's also the one that is most likely for us to disagree about and that you will actually be upset with me by the end of today, or maybe you won't. It depends on how you take what I'm about to share. The emotion we're going to talk about today is anger, and I want you to know that right now I recognize there is a lot of anger in the world today, and I also recognize that that anger is understood differently by different groups of people. Uh, right now, not only are we dealing with the anxiety of the pandemic, not only are we dealing with kind of the anger that we feel about all of the things happening because of the pandemic, we have all of the other things going on in the world as well, and we often are pushed over to the sides, and the sides are angry with each other. My point today is not to pick a side, it's not to say who is justified in their anger, but I want to look again at a place where Jesus experienced anger, and then how does he call us to deal with our own anger? Just to give you a heads up about where we're going and where we're going to end up is the reality that anger can be good, anger can be bad. If anger is going to be used for good, it first has to be understood. And I love how that rhymes. I didn't do that intentionally, but I love how that rhymes. In order for anger to be used for good... It must be understood. And so as we walk through these passages and I I share with you a few things, um, I hope that you come to that same conclusion with me um, because God does use righteous anger for great good in the world. But unrighteous anger is one of the most destructive things and destructive emotions that we will ever Feel. So as we come through this, I do want you to know that while we often will talk about anger solely in a negative way, there is power in anger. So as we talk about the power of anger, I was just thinking through some of the things that uh, can be used for good. And over the years and working with different people, I have seen anger actually catapult people to really healthy places. I've also seen anger catapult people to really unhealthy places. Um, Many times over the last 20, 30 years of ministry, I've come across different people who have struggled in relationships. And I remember one lady in particular uh, that she was in an abusive marriage. Her husband constantly abused her, and she took it. Over and over again, she would come and we would pray with her and we would offer to help and we would give her counsel and, you know, tell her this is not what God wants for you. You are not supposed to stay in this abusive relationship. We will help you. But it was not until her husband began to abuse her child that now she didn't just feel abuse. Now she felt anger and, as you can probably expect, rage. And that anger and that rage propelled her to make change in her life. Because anger can be a powerful emotion to bring change. I've seen plenty of times in which two people are talking and the topic is contentious and it causes anger in one which transfers to the other and have seen relationship after relationship also broken because of anger. Anger can be good, anger can be bad, it can provide you clarity in a moment, but it can also cloud your judgment in a moment. Anger can give you strength that you don't feel like you have in yourself. Anger can also rob you of strength when it controls you instead of you controlling it. There are so many good and bad things that anger can do. It can inspire others 
to take up a worthy cause, and it can completely turn people off of what is a worthy cause. Our reputations can be built by the way we handle our anger, and our reputations can be absolutely destroyed by how we handle our anger. And there's all kinds of different anger. Uh, The other day I was walking out um, of an entrance. Uh, Em and I were at a college visit, and I walked out, and I kind of tripped over the little step as I walked out. And But like many people, I immediately felt angry, which is silly. Who am I angry with? I mean, I should maybe just be angry with myself. But it's just this feeling of, oh, I can't believe this happened. Who saw And while normally I would just laugh at myself or laugh at somebody else, sometimes those feelings pop up and we don't know where they came from and we don't necessarily know what to do with them. That's a silly example of anger. This morning, we have a house um, full of some family. We finally got to celebrate Christmas. We had an issue with COVID in our house, and so we had to cancel everything. And then we finally were able to schedule some of our family, my sister and her family, some of my nieces and nephews came over and... So our house is, has got you know several family members there. So I left out early this morning, um, and just to try to get away and be. A, I, I usually try to get away on Sunday mornings to just think and uh, think about my notes and what I want to say and uh, make sure that I'm on target for the morning. This morning I went to Waffle House and you know the place that's always open unless the world's ending, right? So I went to Waffle House and I sat down and I was just kind of looking over my notes and having some coffee. Uh, and twice in the time that I was there, I overheard conversations in two different booths next to me. Not that I was listening for them. Uh, you know, you, you often aren't clued into a conversation because of their words. You're clued in because of the tone that's going on at the table. So, uh, two different situations, two different families, or I assume they were families. They were together, um, at two different times while I was there. All of a sudden the tone got strong. The volume, went up and I could see this anger brewing over the conversation about current events and one began talking and then the other would give a rebuttal and then another rebuttal and you could feel the tension growing. You know, you just pick up on that stuff. Anger is all around us. There are good parts to it, but there is there are a lot of bad parts to it. I want you to know that anger is a normal reaction for everyone to experience. It's a normal reaction in life, just like anxiety is something we in the church, we have a tendency to kind of call anxiety a sin because the Bible says, don't be anxious, trust in God. But if you, if you want to see anger in somebody that's experiencing anxiety, just say, well, just trust God when their body's telling them that everything's about to end. So anger, just like anxiety, just like all of the Emotions we're going to talk about because these are all emotions Jesus felt. These are normal reactions to the way that we interact with life. They can be good. They can be bad. I want to read you this quote from Rick Hansen, which is a a clinical psychologist. And it says, it's because anger is both one of the most effective social tools for achieving short-range results and one of the most toxic emotions to ourselves and our family social networks. Anger has an addictive quality to it. It gives us a sense of power and control. It achieves results. It defends us against injury and intrusion. Anger is so multifaceted. It is something God has built within each of us. How we use it 
matters. Anger must be understood if it's going to be used for good and not for harm. Now, two things that I've kind of learned about anger over the years and and a part of my life when I was involved in clinical counseling, I I learned two metaphors that I want to share with you this morning because I think this helps us understand before we get into the text about Jesus. There are two really wonderful metaphors to approach if we're going to understand our anger. The first one is called the anger train. This is kind of the thing behind the thing. Do you know what the thing behind the thing is? Like there's this thing. Usually with anger, anger is the thing. It's not actually the thing behind the thing. Like there's something else pushing anger. It could be hurt. could be disillusionment. It could be fear. It could be a lot of different things that, uh, just frustration, lots of different things can be the thing behind the thing. The thing is anger. We want to know what's the thing behind the thing. The anger train was something I learned early on, and it's, it says this, and, and those of you who live uh, around a train, like you may or may not get this analogy if, you, if you're younger. When I was growing up, every train had a caboose. You know, it had that car at the end in which sometimes people would ride, and you had all kind of the the product cars that had coal or water or cars or whatever in those product cars that were actually transferring stuff. And then at the end, there would be some kind of caboose. It would carry. You knew when you could see the caboose coming. That was the end of the train. Like we live over near Thrasher Pike. Uh, About every third day, we get stuck with a train that stops. Uh, but none of those trains have cabooses. They're all just carrying product somewhere. The anger train simply says this, the caboose is your anger, but it is not the engine that's driving the train. So the reality is, is that when we get angry, something else has happened first. We may or may not know what happened first, but something else has happened first. And most of the time, most of the time, the engine driving the train of anger is hurt. Because anger is usually a defense mechanism, not something that you're proactively trying to deal with something. Something happens, it triggers an anger response, and usually if you will dive down deep into why am I upset, there is some level of hurt there. Now maybe you get angry with your kids. I know sometimes I get angry with my kids. Uh, I'll tell them to do something. If I have to say it more than twice, I start getting angry, right? Now my response that's behind that is not that I hate my kids. I love my kids. I, they're, they're, they bring a lot of joy into my life. The response, if I, if I kind of go down the length of the train to find out what's pushing this train of anger for me, it's, it's, it ends up being hurt. A feeling of disrespect, a feeling that they, what I have asked them to do doesn't matter and that they're not listening to me, which can lead to all kinds of other responses. I've got some parental nods of those who are here with me in the room. Some of you experience that as well. So the anger is not the thing. The thing is I am hurt that you are not listening to me. And I've become frustrated, which leads to anger. There are many times that our friends anger us and they say something, and if we're really honest about why am I triggered by this and and feeling so angry about this, usually you're hurt that this person has done something or said something. For me, when I kind of stumbled out the door at the college that Emma and I were at, it was just a fleeting moment, so I didn't like go huffing and puffing through the college campus. It was just a fleeting moment, but I was like, oh, I just could feel it flare up in a moment, and it was embarrassment. It was embarrassment. Like, did anyone else see me trip? 
And then almost immediately, I laughed at myself, right? Because that motion of anger comes up, it is reacting to something. It's not usually the first thing that you experience. So the anger train is incredibly important that if you are angry, and I don't care what it is, if it is over politics, if it is over what someone has said about you, if it is in a relationship that you're in, Anger is not your first emotion. It is trailing something else. If we are going to be healthy followers of Jesus and we are going to deal with anger the way Jesus did, Jesus knew why he was angry and he chose to respond in a way that was healthy. We can't usually respond in a healthy way to anger if we don't know what's driving that train. The second metaphor that I've learned about anger over the years is this, that anger is usually a shield, So it's driven by something else, but then when anger takes kind of full formation within our lives, it's actually a defense mechanism against other things, and it often is hurt or frustration or disappointment. Maybe you've worked for something for years, and it all unravels, and that great sense of disappointment rears its head as anger at whoever you feel has caused this to unravel, and if it's yourself... Maybe you direct that anger at yourself, or maybe you just look for the next closest person so you can direct your anger at them. But really, the shield of trying to shield yourself from this hurt and disappointment and anxiety is anger. Because most of us, at the moment of being angry, don't feel those other emotions, right? Anger feels very justified for us when we're using it as a defense shield. Because the things that that are not really kosher, they're not really socially appropriate in our own minds, is that I will demonstrate my own vulnerability and my fear. I feel much better, much stronger, much more courageous if I mask that hurt and disappointment by being mad. Because just as Richard Hansen says, anger actually has the power to make great change in a very short period of time. The reality is... It's usually not long-lasting change. It's usually very short-term change. Now, what ends up happening and what I witnessed as I sat in the booth watching these different families, their tone go up, their volume go up, they're getting upset, and one family was disagreeing. The other family was totally agreeing with each other, right? And you could just see it. It was like a ping-pong match. I'm angry. I say something. It transfers over here. The person they're talking to makes them angry. They add to it. Now they're more angry, and they pass the ball back. And then this person now has received it. Now they're even more angry than they were, and they pass the ball back to them. And it goes back and forth because what they are doing is they each have their anger shield up, even though they're in agreement. And the other part of anger that is so deadly in our culture and our world is that it is so contagious. Like, when's the last time a person was really mad at you that you didn't get really mad back? It does happen, especially if the person that's mad at you is someone you really think highly of or you really love. And if they're angry with you, you may just feel like, oh, I can't believe I messed this up. But usually, when someone comes at you with anger, you respond with anger. It's just a natural response because it's a defense mechanism Anger as a shield is a defense mechanism that says, I won't let you in. I am going to confront you with my anger, and maybe you'll back off. Because we also typically don't want to engage in anger. We just, it kind of sets us off. The other interesting thing about it, just like anxiety, is when you get angry, your body changes. 
Your heart rate quickens. Your adrenaline starts pumping. And now your body is sending signals to your brain and, and at times will disconnect your brain because now you're just on autopilot responding. As we look through these, these the reality that there is a thing behind the thing, <clears throat> whether it's <clears throat> frustration, rejection is a huge trigger for anger, guilt is another reason that we get angry. If I feel bad, I want to protect myself. I don't want to look guilty. I don't want to feel guilty. I would much rather feel anger, pain, envy, regret, fear. Fear is another big driver. Not only just fear, not just hurt, but fear of hurt. Feeling attacked, being offended, disrespected, I have learned about myself the thing, one of the things behind the thing for me. I find myself, I get angry really quickly if I feel like someone is diminishing me, if someone is dismissing me, if someone is making fun of me, I find that my initial response is anger after I feel what I have come to understand is hurt. So I'm angry that they're dismissive of me because what I know about myself is there's something within me that doesn't feel valuable. Many of us have this reality. When we mature, we kind of grow to understand and recognize that, and we begin to use our reason and our logic to to deal with that. But what I have learned is that there's something in me that that feels like I'm not valuable. And so as long as people are saying nice things about me, then I feel great. But if you are dismissive of me or you demean or diminish me, then all of a sudden I get angry. And that is a defense mechanism against the feeling that really at times I don't feel valuable inside. Now, the reality is that many of us do this. I could just say, you know what? That person was a real jerk for what they said. And I should be mad. You know what? I'm going to diminish them now because that's usually the course it takes unchecked in us. But it takes time and it takes some clarity about who you are to say, you know what? So maybe they shouldn't have said what they said. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. The reason I'm angry with them is not because of what they said, because my value is not determined by them. The reason I'm angry with them is because I actually question my value myself, which then sets me on a whole other path instead of fighting back. Now, if I don't go down this other path to say, so why do I feel this way? I fight back. And I get angry. It's contagious, right? So I throw it back. Sometimes my shield has a little spear on the end, and I try to use my shield to cause some damage within them. But when I recognize what's going on within me, then I can say, well, why do I not feel like I have value? As a follower of Jesus, this is one of the things that we we gain great hope in, is that Jesus demonstrates ultimate value in us all along the way. I mean, he says, you are so valuable. I want you in my family. I want you to be with me forever. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You are loved. You are part. You are my brothers and you are my sisters. It's one of the beautiful things about being a Christian is Christianity is meant to raise the dignity of everyone. That doesn't always happen among Christians, let's be honest. But that is what the message of the gospel is, raise the dignity of others. Sometimes when we get angry, I, I am very justified in my anger, and, and, and I know that I'm right, but how I respond to that will determine whether 
I'm going to use this anger for good or this anger is going to be destructive ultimately. Three questions that I would encourage you to ask as you're trying to figure out the thing behind your thing. If you're angry right now, interestingly, some of you may be angry over what I've already said. I don't know over which part. It's probably not from what I said. It's probably your response to something else. There's another thing behind the thing for you if you're already angry. Maybe you need to figure out what is that thing? What's driving that? Three questions you can ask yourself or I ask myself whenever I get angry or this. Number one is so important. Why am I angry? See, anger wants to bypass this question. I'm just angry. It doesn't matter why. I'm angry. And now I'm going to do something about it. Finding the thing behind the thing says, why am I angry? Am I angry because it's righteous? Am I angry because they've hurt me? Am I angry because I feel like they have robbed me of value and I already didn't feel like I had value? See, the, the remedy for all those things are different. Like there's not one solution fits all. You've got to find out what's my issue and now I've got to find a remedy for that issue. Anger tends to short circuit that in our relationships with others. Why am I angry? What is it about them that's causing me to be angry about this? Is it what they said? If you deal with anxiety, you probably also deal with anger. And the reality is some of your anger that is pushed towards others, it may actually be driven by your anxiety. The reality is when we're feeling anxious, we're feeling, you know, uncentered, unsettled, when our heart rate is already up and our adrenaline is already pumping, anger is a quick off-road from anxiety. Maybe the issue is not what they've said or done. It's the reality that I'm on edge. I am so on edge right now. Like you could tell me I'm the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life, and I'm going to get mad at you and tell you that wasn't true if I'm already on edge. There are all kinds of things that drive us. Why am I angry? The second question is, And this is where maturity sets in. It takes a level of maturity to ask question number two, and that is this. How am I guilty? How am I guilty? Because the reality is anger has a tendency to be self-righteous, doesn't it? Like, I'm ticked off. I mean, I'm not the best person in the world either, but you know what? But I didn't say that. So I feel completely justified to then target you and try to hurt you just as you tried to hurt me. And the question that Jesus would ask us, and I find that on the time that I'm really spending time with God, I'm really spending time in his word, I'm praying, and I I, I not only feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, but I feel that he is kind of awakening me to the world as he sees it, not just as I see it. When I get angry in those times, I'm more likely to hear the Holy Spirit whisper in my ear, you know, you've done the same thing yourself. You've done the same stuff. Because part of the Christian faith that we are missing in, a, in an age of anger is that place of repentance to recognize we ourselves are broken, sinful people too. The anger results when sin comes up against sin. When someone's doing something they shouldn't do and then we respond in a way that just wants to punish, it's when sin comes up against sin. Now, I can... 
point out the sin of the person who's angry with me, but that's really not helpful because Jesus actually said something about this. He said, don't worry about the speck in somebody else's eye. Worry about the beam in your own eye because you yourself are sinful and broken too. It's really hard to stay mad at somebody when you recognize you do the same stuff. (laughs) When someone's hurt you, but then you are reminded about the times, whether you intended to or not, that you hurt somebody else. Oh, Anger tends to start getting diffused because I realize I'm just like they are. But guess what? You are. (laughs) And I am. This is the truth of humanity. We share some common threads. We have lots of distinctives, but we do share some common threads. And one of them is this. We are broken and sinful, and we don't always know why we do what we do. But how we respond does matter which is question number three, once I know why I'm angry and I recognize my own propensity to sin, how am I guilty? Then the third question is, well, then how should I respond? Because when I understand that a lot of my own anger is driven by my own hurt, I can look at someone who's angry with me and realize they're hurt too. Like, they're mad at me. And as a pastor, just understand, if you ever want to go into ministry, a lot of people will be mad at you over the course of your life. Like, right now, people are mad at me for lots of different things. And some are mad that we're not doing online services, and or or that we are doing online services. Some are mad that we're not doing in-person services. Uh, You know, somebody's always upset with the decision you make. Well, why did they pick that song or that style of music? Or I really didn't like what they, you know, if you're going to be in ministry, you're going to deal with a certain amount of anger from people If you're always responding to it in a way that wants to hurt them in the way they've hurt you, your ministry will die. (laughs) But if you recognize my anger is a result of my hurt, therefore their anger is a result of their hurt, what is it that's hurting in them? Like, I don't ever intend to make somebody mad. How are they hurting? And it doesn't mean I've done anything wrong. Their anger may be, their genesis of their anger may be in their anxiety. Or you don't know what kind of day they had before they came up against you. Or you don't know what they got to go deal with as soon as they're not in front of you anymore. And their emotions have taken over, and they don't really know how to respond. When you understand why you feel the way you do, and then you begin to dig in, you find that thing behind the thing, and you recognize, you know, I'm a messed up person too, then you can step back and say, and often requires a quick prayer, how do you want me to respond here? Because it actually takes a great amount of self-control when your body feels angry for your mind to say, I will not respond that way. It takes maturity. Jesus modeled this. Let's look at how Jesus felt anger. Because, And I want you to know, like if you're getting a lot of elbows, if you were sitting here in person, some of you would be getting elbows right now. Maybe you're not. You're on the other side of the room and you're just getting that side glance from the other side of the room, right? Understand Jesus felt anger. In John chapter 2, verse 13, I'm only going to read one of these. It says this, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? 
things. And Jesus assured them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And Jesus then said, it has taken 46 years to build this, excuse me, the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body, when therefore he was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now you can go back and read this Again, here's a, there's a few key things I want you to understand because this is often the proof text for treating for Christians treating other people badly. Well, Jesus turned over this. The fact that I just hit you over the head with a baseball bat is because you didn't have a table for me to turn over, so I hit you over the head with a baseball bat. Now, if you do that, you're going to go to jail. So we usually don't do that. But we can use our words to launch a barrage of attacks on somebody else. And one of the things that we as Christians happen to do when we get angry is we tend to, to move. We've talked in the past, there are two of the most powerful things you can do to influence people. One is love and one is shame. Christians default to shame way too quickly because we want to punish. We want to hurt. We're upset. And we've not gone through those three questions. Why do I feel this way? What is my own sin? How should I respond as a result? We don't go through those questions. We jump to shame I have a lot of really good friends in the conversation on race. A lot of my Christian friends in the conversation on race use a lot of shame. As if we're going to elevate people to a common level of dignity by shaming one group of people. Now they feel that way because they feel like we've got one group of people that has not been elevated, their dignity has not been elevated, and another group that has enjoyed a great amount of the elevation of their dignity. Let's just push them down and that'll make us more equal. That's not how Jesus worked. Shame doesn't actually move to positive things. Shame moves to really bad things within us. It breaks relationships. It causes us to stay in our sin, not be liberated from our sin. We often move to shame as a response. When we look at a few of the things Jesus did here, number one, this does not give us the freedom to go and turn over somebody else's table. Like somebody cuts you off. And so you drive to their house, you walk in their kitchen, and you turn over their table, and then you walk out, get in your car, and drive off like, that's so silly, right? But sometimes we feel like that's exactly what we want to do. Sometimes we use this story inappropriately. A couple of things you need to see about this story. So number one, if you've studied this before, you know this. What's going on within this temple has been going on for years. So this temple that's been built, this is not the temple that Solomon built. This is the temple that Herod built. And if we read back through and we read about this temple, we find that it's much bigger. The the walls are whitewashed and clean. There's a ton of gold. And this is more like a tourist attraction for Herod to bring in money into Jerusalem than has anything to do with God. In fact, Jesus even has an encounter with his disciples as they walk into the temple courts and they're like, whoa, this thing is massive and beautiful. And it's another time Jesus says, yeah, and I'm going to tear every one of these stones down and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Don't look at what this has become. So what's ha- what it's become is at this time of Passover, which is the time of year that pilgrims come into Jerusalem to seek God and to pray and to follow obediently in the act of Passover, which requires a sacrifice. If we're traveling from a long distance, we probably can't bring an ox with us, right? We just want to get there, and we get there, we'll buy what we need. 
And they come to the temple where they have all these money changers. And a money changer is basically this. This is somebody that deals in different currencies. Because while we, anywhere you go in America, you can pay with a U.S. dollar. And a Canadian nickel if you can pass it off, right? But at this time, in Israel, every area had their own currency. So when you came in, whoever's selling the ox may not actually take your money. So you're going to have to go to somebody else and say, okay, I need money that I can buy that ox with. And they'll take your money and then they'll transfer it into whatever money the ox seller has and then gives it to you and then you can go buy the ox. The problem here is is that the money changers regularly gave unfair uh, transfers of currency. In other words, I I heard another pastor say this, whenever you go um, into... You know, Walmart, you buy a six pack of Cokes, um, then maybe you're going to spend a dollar and a half and you get six of them. But if you go to a sporting event, you're going to spend eight dollars for that same amount of Coke. (laughs) That's kind of what's going on in this temple court. They've come to buy doves and pigeons and oxen and sheep. And instead of paying what it's worth, they're rapidly increasing the rates. And they're even making it out of reach for many of the poor that were coming to celebrate God and to worship the Passover. And that made Jesus angry. Now, what made Jesus angry? Was it they were profiting? Uh, Yes. Was it the people? Uh, Yes. But when we look at what Jesus did, what we don't see Jesus doing is stringing somebody up. We don't see Jesus beating anybody. We don't see Jesus trying to ruin anyone's livelihood. Jesus is not a cancel culture kind of guy. But he did came in and he attacked a system. Now some of you would say, yeah, but he fashioned a whip. I mean, that's got to have hurt. Yeah, but if we go through and we actually look at the text and we understand the text, text as it was originally written, not just as it's been translated into our English text, the whip was for the animals, not for the people. It was to drive the animals out so it couldn't be done. So yes, he was driving the the money changers and the sellers out too, but the whip was not so he could inflict harm on a person. The whip was so he could get the livestock out of the temple because he said the purpose of this place, my father's house, is to be a house of worship and prayer. This is not for you to, to gain money off of the poor that they can't afford. And so he drove out the system of unfair selling, he didn't go after people. Now, they didn't learn their lesson. Because here's what we know about this story. We often read this, that this happened once, but it actually happened twice. It happened at the beginning of his ministry, which is what we just read. But if you go back and you look at Matthew 21, right at the end of his ministry, right before he's crucified, he does it a second time. And then the second time, in addition to turning them out, he does something else. He goes around and he starts healing people all around the temple, which is really interesting. We don't have time to read it this morning, but go back and read it. So he does almost the exact same thing, pushes them out of the temple... And then he goes and he shows this is what the kingdom of God is, and he starts healing people. And and the religious leaders who are already ticked off that he's messing up their profit scam, now they're really ticked off because now he's doing things they can't do. He's healing people. Now there are some biblical scholars that even understand this whole thing, not as in Jesus kind of happened upon this and got really ticked off, but instead Jesus had really great purpose in his anger. 
I believe he was ticked off. Don't get me wrong. If we go back and we read in Leviticus 14, there is this passage in the law. And the priests performed many duties. They didn't just do the, the rites of, uh, of religious traditions and practices. They were the physicians. They were like the CDC of, of ancient Israel. Like if you had a pro, if you had leprosy, you called the priest to come care for you. If, if your house ha- had some kind of fungus in it and it was making everybody sick, the priest would come and they would clean your house. And we have this one instruction of the law that if leprosy is found, it could actually be in the walls of the house. Like when they would build the building, it, it, it could grow in the house. And if that was found, you would call the priest and the priest would come and he would tear down all the plaster and all of the, the stuff kind of on the outside, all the, the covering, and they would take it out to the edge of the city and they would burn it. They would completely destroy it. And then no one could go into that house for seven days. And at the end of seven days, to find out if it worked, you would call the priest back. And this is what Leviticus 14 says, when the priest comes back, if that didn't work, there's still leprosy in the bones of the house. It says that the disease breaks out again in the house after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it. Then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stone and timber, and all the plaster of the house. And he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. In other words, we come in and we scrape all the stuff off the surface. We replaster everything. If it is still there after a week, the entire house is dismantled completely and every piece of that house is carried to the edge of the city and it is destroyed to make sure no one else gets sick. There are many scholars that believe what Jesus did by going and overturning tables at the beginning of his ministry and then returning at the end of his ministry is to say this temple built by Herod being now used for the commerce of Rome in Israel, his first time coming over was removing the plaster. But his second time came when he said, he was basically saying the leprous diseases permeated the whole thing and it must all be destroyed, which is why he then says, I'm going to tear down every one of these stones and rebuild it in three days. His disciples look at him and say, "What are you? how are you going to do that? This took 47 years to build. Because he meant when I die and I come back to life, I'm the temple, <laughs> not this monstrosity. I'm the temple. And then we today become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where, as we've talked in the past, where heaven and earth overlap in Eden, heaven and earth overlap in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, then of the temple, heaven and earth overlap when Jesus comes into the world, and then when Jesus ascends back to heaven, heaven and earth overlap in every individual that calls him Lord and Savior because the Holy Spirit lives within us, and in us we demonstrate to the world where heaven and earth can overlap, which is why how we handle anger is so important. Because if we just are set off and we let everybody know we're mad and they hurt us, so we try to hurt them back, how in the world are we going to tell them that the overlapping of heaven and earth is a good thing? Because we just look like we're just as mad and angry as everybody else. We have no joy, no hope. We don't see deeper. We don't understand our own hurt. We say we're all sinful, but we don't believe we're sinful. Look at the way we hurt others because we feel justified in hurting others. See, Jesus had a purpose in what he was doing. 
Jesus' anger was not directed at hurting people. He was not trying to hurt people. He was trying to address a system. That's why it's important. So we are a part of the conversation on race, and we had some friends come and speak over the summer, and some people got really angry with me. (laughs) Because some of the speakers that came were angry themselves over this. And were angry that they had to endure the anger of someone else who's already angry, and I get it. We have to recognize that anger is driven by hurt. Do we look at a person who responds with anger and we just say, oh, they are deserving of us judging them and hurting them back? Or do we say they're hurting? That's what I found in this conversation. People that respond to this in anger are hurting over something. Maybe maybe, maybe someone who's black is hurting over the history of things. Did you know, and I didn't know this until one of my friends told me, did you know that in New York... They would literally take the hide of black men and women and cut it off of their dead bodies and make wallets and sell them to the elite in New York. Like, that'll make you angry. And if it doesn't make you angry, you ought to ask why you're not angry. How long does it take for somebody to overcome that? I mean, how many of us act just like our parents, right? Some of us act just like our grandparents. We find a history of abuse that that translates from generation to to a generation. A parent abuses a child because that parent was abused by their parent. And that parent was abused by their parent. This is a generational sin that happens. When you've got people like literally cutting the skin off of people to create a wallet so people can walk around and say, I've got a black person's skin as a wallet, that's a deep level of depravity right there. How many generations does it take for you to heal from that? That's why we're a part of this conversation. I, and I get angry when people get angry. And, but then I recognize some of my friends who are angry about the conversation on our race, they feel hurt too. They feel hurt that they're put in the same category as those people who made and carried the wallets. And they don't feel like they're in that category. I get it. Why are we angry? We've got to get to the bottom of why we're angry if we're going to move forward. Jesus had purpose. He was attacking a system, which is one of the reasons we do talk about racial equality, is because there's a system, and I wasn't fully aware of this system until we got into the fostering program. So for the last few years, I got to see it really up close. And a lot of my friends opened up and shared with their personal experience. And it made me angry. But it does no good for me to go out and try to hurt other people. But instead, what we try to do is understand it, and now we work against that system. That's what Jesus was doing. It was a system that's anger. This is why it boggles my mind that we're angry with each other over politics. Like, that's the system Jesus was angry with. And now we've bought into our side, and now we're mad at each other, and the gospel is in tatters as a result. Jesus was angry at systems. Oppressive systems that kept people from God. This is the thing behind the thing for Jesus. You're keeping people from God. They're making it where they can't afford to profess their faith. You're gouging them. And you're keeping them from God. Jesus said other angry things. He said things like, if you cause one of, the, of these children to stumble, it would be better for you if you tied a millstone around your neck and threw yourself over the side of a boat. That's pretty intense. Like, We arrest people who say stuff like that, right? But what was he angry about? Was he angry about what somebody said, or was he angry about that they're keeping someone from God? See, that was the thing behind the thing for Jesus. The thing overturning the tables, the thing behind the thing was that. 
I don't know what the thing behind your thing is. But you got one. I got one. I get angry. And I have to ask myself why. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm really good at it, and then sometimes I don't. I just respond out of anger, which requires me to come and ask forgiveness later. Sometimes the other person's the bigger person, and they recognize Mark's hurting. I'm not going to return his anger with anger. I understand Mark's hurting. I'm going to figure out what's hurting about Mark, and I'm going to see if I can work on that. Now, those are some good friends in your life. So just like those tables where you've got one person getting angry, and they throw it to their friend, and then the next person receives it, magnifying that anger and throws it back. Don't pick friends like that. Pick the ones who look for the thing behind the thing, not the ones that magnify and amplify your anger. Be on purpose as Jesus was on purpose and recognize we are not here to battle against each other. We're here to battle against principalities, spirits of the air, the enemy. And as Jesus demonstrates in overturning the temple, over the tables in the temple, oppressive systems that keep people from God, that's what should anger us. But our response is not to go bomb them. Our response is not to go hurt them. Our response is not to shame them. Jesus said, your response is to pray for them and love them and at times stand up to them. So this is one of the things we'll talk about another time when anger happens, when there's righteous anger. There's this idea that Christians are supposed to just melt into the background of any conversation. Ooh, that's wrong. Ooh, that's hurting people, but I'm just going to sit back here and never address it. That is not the way of Jesus. Like Jesus would have been arrested multiple times, all right? <laughs> the apostles were arrested multiple times and then were killed. How we deal with anger matters. Here's what I want to leave you with. <clears throat> so how should we handle it? What is the thing behind the thing? I found for me, that means I have to stop, I have to pray, I have to listen to my heart. I usually have to repent myself. Either I've caused their anger and I need to ask forgiveness, or there's something in me I need to repent from if I respond in anger. What is the thing behind the thing for me? Is it hurt, disappointment, frustration? What is it? The second thing to handle anger is what is the thing behind the thing for them? And if you want to know, are you growing in your faith? When you start asking the question, what's the thing behind the thing for them? and not just you, you're on a path of growth because most people don't ever ask that question. What's the thing behind their thing? Are they hurting? Are they disappointed? Are they struggling with anxiety? A third thing, Jesus was so much better at this than we are. We, I think we can get better at this, but do I need to speak truth or compassion? Because usually speaking truth is language for I'm about to kick your butt. <laughs> and I'm going to use a Bible to do it. Jesus didn't do that. Do we speak truth, which at times needs to be spoken and will not be received well? Sometimes we need to speak compassion. Can we do that? And the fourth thing is this. How do, we, how do I move us both towards health? Which it takes a lot of prayer for me. Anger will change the world. You have to train yourself to change it for the better instead of for the worse. Anger will change your relationships. You have to be intentional if you want to change them for better. 
and not for worse. And the last thing I want to share with you is this, when I think is a natural um, conversation that comes out of anger, a conversation on anger, is there are some people that feel that God is angry with them. They feel like they've messed up. They've not been a good enough Christian. God's mad at me. In fact, we've, we've made a whole evangelism systems over telling people God's mad at them. I mean, it's terrible. Jesus never did that. We do that because it moves people. It's powerful. Anger is powerful. Shame is powerful. It's not the way of Jesus, but it can get results when we're trying to tick off the number of people that come to faith. I want to remind you that in this story of him overturning the tables, it wasn't the people. I think the greatest example of this is when Jesus was on the cross and he looks at the people who put them there and he doesn't cast down judgment or cursing on there. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you are asking yourself the question, is God angry with me? You should just know uh, it's possible he's angry with some of the things you're doing if you're hurting yourself and hurting others, but he's not angry with you. See, when it comes to people, God doesn't express anger in that way. There will be a time in which God expresses judgment down the road, but where you are in life right now, What is so beautiful about the gospel and so beautiful about God is rather than expressing anger towards you, he expresses compassion and grace and love. So if you're in a place, is God angry with me? A basic question would be, are you standing between somebody else and God? God's not going to be happy about that. The whole millstone passage is pretty straightforward. But if this is about some sin in your life and you feel like you have failed and you're not good enough, I want you to know God responds to you with compassion, great love, grace, and mercy, something we need to learn from. If you are at a place in your life and you feel like your activities, your actions, the things you've said or believed are are really that bad, just understand that God says, for anyone who repents, I am there to receive them. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. I'm not here banging on the door to come in and throw, throw tables over in your house. I'm here to say I'm here to love you. I'm here in compassion. I'm here to to receive you as you repent from these actions. God always responds with grace. I want to encourage you that while in our anger we shouldn't sin, God doesn't sin in his anger and instead professes for you love and compassion. All right, that's all I've got for you today. We could talk about this forever. I've gone way over. I think this is important stuff. And again, the reason we're going through this series on emotions is for us to help understand why we feel the way we feel because the pandemic's going to end. All this stuff's going to go away, and then we're going to figure out what life is going to be like. Well, we're trying to figure that out now. One of the ways we have to do that is we have to understand our emotions now so that we're not driven by them. Jesus was never driven by his emotions, not by anxiety, not by fear, not by sadness, not by suffering, not by anger. We shouldn't be driven by those things either. Would you pray with me? Father, Anger is everywhere around us. We can almost smell it in the air. We can feel it closing in. That is not your way. That is not what you want for us or from us. And so, Father, I pray that you would 
Help us to have new eyes to see, new ears to hear exactly what's going on. Let us see the thing behind the thing and let us move forward in health. I pray for my friends who were struggling with, is God angry with me? I just pray that you would give them such an overwhelming sense of love and compassion that they know you are inviting them into something beautiful. I pray for those of us that we do struggle. I pray you'll forgive me when I express anger and I've not stopped to consider what's driving it. When I've just wanted to hurt because someone else has hurt me, I pray that you would forgive me. Hear our repentance. Move in our hearts. Move us to a place of health. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.